This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Now we're going to talk about trade. Yeah, it was on my trade mind. Trade also <laughs> top of mind, clearly. What would Freud say? For a good reason. All right, so perfect guest as we wait and expect the completion and signing of a phase one U.S.-China trade deal. His new book, Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word, How Six Everyday Products Make the Case for Trade. Joining us is Fred Hockberg. Hockberg, excuse me. He was the former chairman and president of the Export-Import Bank of the U.S. based in Miami Beach, Florida, in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Fred Hockberg, nice to have you here with us. Um, it is timely because we have spent so much of the last 12 months and then some talking about trade, uh, U.S.-China, Mexico. Um, how do you look at trade through the lens of your book and just your experiences, not only as someone who has worked at the Export-Import Bank, but also someone who was running a company? Well, you know, when you're listening to Carol, uh, in the acknowledgments, I actually acknowledged President Trump because I said he moved trade from D14 to A1 on, <laughs> yeah. on today's newspaper. That newspapers. is so true. <laughs> and, uh, we have never been as consumed with it in terms of a topical issue that people talk around around the dinner table. But do we understand it? Well, no, and that's hopefully why I wrote this book, because uh, this book started when I was uh, teaching a seminar at the University of Chicago and the Kennedy School, and I said, how am I going to get 19- and 20-year-old kids to like care about this, you know? Resetting America's trade agenda in the 21st century would put most people to sleep. Um, so hence I came up with the title, and that's where this, the idea goes. People just don't understand it. And it's such a big issue. It touches our lives every single day, and we don't understand it at our peril. All right. I want to talk a lot more about how you tell the story of the book, but just staying on the news if yeah. we can. Is this deal ultimately a good deal? Well, they don't one. know a lot about it, right. number one. So I, I, uh, this morning I was with Leland Miller and we were talking and I think this feels like a truce more than a deal. Hmm. You know, between North Korea and South Korea, there's a truth. There was never really a peace treaty. So I think there's a truce that says we're not going to, we're going to relax the tariffs and you're going to buy more goods. So it's a little bit like a purchase agreement, almost then a full-fledged trade agreement. So I think we have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. And... One thing President Trump is very good. He provides himself with an exit ramp for everything he does. Not always does he provide the other party with an exit ramp. So it's hard to know where this will go. Now, a lot of the things are good. Listen, it is better to have a truce than an active war. And so that is a good thing. But in terms of globalization, like there's no way, there's no turning back at this point. And trade is on a whole other level in terms of, you know, trading with others is a good thing, right? It lets each country, each area of the world kind of excel at what they're best at, exactly. right? And then buy the rest. I mean, this is a good thing. Trade is here to stay. Whether China's here to stay in over the next few hundred years i don't know but trade is here to say why do trade, you say that well trade has been part we've always been no, trading. no no but the china part well i'm just trying to say that we all this focus on china not not necessarily china but my point is trade isn't going away yeah trade is not going away um you know japan was our big economic threat 20 30 years ago uh and is less of a threat today so i'm saying i don't know where china's going but i know one thing for sure trade is active trade is always going to happen as you just said carol we, we do what we do best, and we buy what we don't do so well. So right. we're great at services, Bloomberg services, entertainment, financial services, higher ed, um, all those things we're particularly good at, and advanced manufacturing. 
we're not going to be very good at making sneakers and T-shirts and sort of low-value-added goods. We're going to leave that to the others, and you know, that's a good thing. And Carol mentioned your your history running a company, Lillian Vernon, family company. You ran yeah. it for quite some time. How would you look at this deal and trade today from a CEO's perspective? Well, from a CEO's perspective, you want to provide the best thing for your customers. Sure. And certainly when we at Lillian Vernon first went to China in 1981, going to the Canton Fair, it was still called Canton in 19, before it became Guangzhou. Right. And uh, I put that in the book, and my mother and I, Lily and I, went on that trip, and it was a wholly different country than it is today. So we were able to build our company and make it a stronger company by importing products, providing products at a price and a level of innovation that you couldn't find here. Right. And that was a good thing. And that's how many businesses get built. Um, so that's why I find this sort of anti-trade rhetoric and anti-trade sentiment um, baffling. And that's why this book was needed. It's part of it, too, though, you know, when it comes to trade policy, you got to also play fairly. Um, and I do wonder, I think a lot of people do agree that some of these trade agreements, specifically between the U.S. and China, needed to be reworked. The China of 10 years ago is not the China of today or the China of 20 years ago. Um, just get about 30 seconds, then we're going to bring you back. Agreed? Agree with it. I mean, I have a section in the book, Trump is not wrong. <laughs> there are many things he's right about. David Brooks once said, He's got all the wrong answers to all the right questions. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Fred Hochberg is still with us, former chairman and president of the XM Bank. He's got a new book. His first trade is not a four-letter word. So, Fred, uh, thanks for sticking with us. Let's dig right into the book because you have six everyday products to make the case for trade. Talk to me about the taco salad. You had me at avocado. <laughs> well, <laughs> or actually, taco. <laughs> since we're approaching Super Bowl Sunday, we will smash 140 million pounds of avocados to make guacamole on Super Bowl Sunday. They alone. Wow. And <laughs> that's that is, a lot of avocados. And that's right in the middle of the whole trade conversation. Yes, avocado exactly. Is. So help us so, understand that. Well, the, probably the Taco Bowl got in the book. Probably Donald Trump did make it so famous yes. at his uh, photograph at Cinco de Maya. And it made me look at the Taco Bowl. And it turns out, I don't know if the president knows this, it was actually a Mexican immigrant who ran into a man named C. Elmer Doolin at a, Texaco, at a Texas gas station, and he tried a taco pie, and he thought it was delicious, and he bought the sort of patent equipment from this Mexican immigrant, brought it back to Disneyland, and created the taco bowl. So the taco bowl was invented at Disneyland. Wow. Nothing to do with Mexico. Um, so it is the epitome of sort of cross-border, and... Uh, if you look at the ingredients, uh, it's about trade. It's all about trade. I mean, uh, we sit, we now, we love avocados so much. We now have to import eighty-five percent of the avocados we consume. Right. Incredible. Uh, we're at uh, something like four and a half billion pounds of avocados a year. Not only avocado toast, but guacamole, and just sort of the whole internationalization of the food we eat in this country. So, bottom line, we get what we want because we want to eat it. It helps an emerging economy, right? Really, kind of own an industry, and that's good for their country in terms of their economy, stabilization, and so much more. And we get to enjoy a taco bowl whether you're in Alaska or Maine, whether right. it's in December or August. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, exactly. Hey, I want to get to the iPhone because nothing blew my mind. I remember being in India and doing a panel for the World Economic Forum, and it was all about supply chains. And if you ever have ordered an iPhone, like to watch the process of placing the order, and I remember it telling you where it was and when it was going to hit the shores on the West Coast and when it would be in your hand. Like the supply chain just blew my mind. But that tells a really clear story when it comes to trade. Well, I think what, what I explored in this book is the idea of a supply chain. You know, and it also includes automobiles. Nobody makes something, we assemble them. Right. So the iPhone is assembled just the way cars are assembled, airplanes are assembled. They're not, you know, they don't make them in one place. And the magic of the iPhone, besides the fact it is still the most remarkable device you can have in your pocket, talk to anybody in the world, watch movies, do all that other stuff. Um, it comes from, you know, over a dozen countries. You know, the rare earth comes from sub-Saharan Africa, from Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo or Rwanda. Uh, the gyroscope uh, comes from the Netherlands. Um, the, the thing that tracks your steps to make sure that, you know, you, you, you're 10,000, right. that's a device that comes from Switzerland. Uh, uh, the glass actually comes from Corning, New York, not far from the studio right now. So it is really all those places, and without them, you could not have an iPhone. And the, part of the reason I put it in the book is China's contribution is $8.46 because they assemble all those components together. Yet, China bears the full burden of that trade deficit. So wow. you go, so $8.46, the landed cost of an iPhone is probably $300, $350. You know, we pay 1000 but the landed cost is a lot. So they bear all of that because that's how trade deficits are calculated. So... Partly I put in the book, this obsession with a trade deficit makes no sense. No economist, maybe Peter Navarro, but no other economist actually is worried about the trade deficit. Right. It's just not something we need to be because focused on. Because of a technicality on. in terms of how things are measured, right? right. That's the why. It's sort of escape. where it made the, the most significant change. So you Correct. took all these pieces and you put them together. It, you know, the trade deficit, I use this analogy, it's like having a couple of glasses of wine at dinner. It's fine. If you started drinking two or three bottles at dinner, you might have to rethink that. Right. Yeah. Well, the trade deficit, ours, is not a And we have things like inflation, currency. There's so many factors that go into it. This, and it is why we, I put in the book, this attraction of Foxconn to try and build consumer electronics in America was like, we should make everything here. No, we shouldn't. We should make here what we do well, and we should buy what we don't do well. Well, right. and I feel like, you know, our focus on that in terms of the importance of having manufacturing here in the U.S. kind of, you know, covers maybe what really is some of the problems here in terms of the kind of workers that are needed or, you know, making sure those workers have the right skills. I just think it doesn't really get to the heart of what's a problem here, maybe, for those who don't have jobs right. in America. And, and part of the problem we've had is that workers who got hurt, and many did, and they tend to be very localized. The benefits are spread far and wide. Yeah. But if a factory or an assembly plant closes, that's really hard on a, a group of workers and a community. And we never put the policies in to really take care of that. Right. All right. Only got about a minute left, but talk to us about Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, I put Game of Thrones in the book as well. And I will tell you, I ran into a, the doorman at, at, at this hotel I stayed, and he said, I read your chapter on Game of Thrones, and <laughs> it changed my whole view of, of Game of Thrones. I mean, we export so many movies, entertainment, digital products. That's our competitive advantage. That's what America does really well. And I wanted to put that in to show that would not be possible without trade. Yeah. In terms of mm -hmm. the actors, the musicians, the technicians, 
crossing borders and the kind of TV shows we've imported here and we've remade for our, whether it's Homeland or All in the Family all came from abroad and they influenced us and we made them better. All right. Well, it's a terrific book, very thought provoking. And as we said, incredibly timely. You couldn't have timed it better uh, in many ways as we continue to understand the vagaries of this and obviously the politics of it, the economics as well. Congratulations. Your first book, Fred Hochberg, former chairman and president of the Export Import Bank of the U.S. The book is called Trade is Not a Four Letter Word, How Six Everyday Products Make the Case for Trade. We told you a few of them, but you're going to have to buy the book to get the rest of it. Absolutely. It's a must read. Uh, to really understanding trade in today's society. 